Thank you, guys. Oh, this has been awesome this morning. Uh, before we jump into the message, I just want to say thank you to somebody else. They weren't here because they were at their church this morning. They're doing double duty today. Uh, but this is the Sellers family. They've been part of our electric company here helping us get everything wired. And uh, I just want to honor them as well. Uh, they weren't here when we did our honoring, so I want to do that now that they're here. Thank you so much. God is so good. So very good. So very good. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of this today. This is a special day. Listen, now, for those of you who have worked in the church, you've been around the church, you know that um, Easter is kind of like our Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? This is a big day. We want everything to be perfect. We want it to just work well and everybody to be nice and behaved and have a good time. And this is kind of our Super Bowl. Well, I played football growing up in high school, but since high school, I really haven't watched football like at all, right? But I'll watch the Super Bowl, you know what I'm saying? I'll watch the big game. Some of you are kind of like that with church. You're like, I don't go to church that much, but I'll come on Easter. So either way, it doesn't matter. We're just glad you're here, right church? We're glad you're here. Thanks for coming. I ask you a quick question this morning. How many of you found our church by using a GPS device, like on your phone or something? Yeah. How many of you have used one in the last month? Yeah, uh uh-huh. We live by these things. Sometimes I think if I'm out in the country, I get a little nervous. Like, if this thing goes down, it's going to be like a scene from Deliverance or something. I have no idea what's going to happen. But it, it makes me nervous. It makes me nervous. We follow blindly these GPS devices uh, and other things that drive us crazy. I, I don't know if you watched The Office back when it was on. It was one of my favorite shows. But there's, there's an episode of Michael and Dwight, right? And they're in Michael's car, and they're driving uh, to some place, and they're following a, the navigation device. And uh, Michael, it says, turn right. You know, and Michael is about to just turn right, and Dwight's like, no, there's a street up here. You've got to go to the street. He's like, no, she said turn right. She turned, he turns into a lake. You remember that episode? Well, it sounds funny, and we laugh at, at Michael and Dwight, but here's some, here's some news clippings. No, no lie, this is true. Woman blames GPS after driving a car into a sand trap on a golf course. Three women escape after their GPS system leads them into a lake. Woman has swept away, and by the way, I didn't add just that these are all women. Woman was swept away in, in Swollen River after following GPS instructions. British man drives into a church after his GPS directs him to. These things, we follow them blindly, right? And here's the scary part. We follow a lot of other things blindly too, and you know the scariest thing that we follow blindly? Ourselves. What we want, what we think, what we think we know, we just go, hey, I'll just, let's just do whatever I want. And that can be the most dangerous thing in the world. You know, this is a day, this is a beautiful day where Christians around the world celebrate a risen Savior. And we do that today, but you know, the reality is, in our, at least in our country, to say that you're a Christian, it doesn't quite mean as much as it used to. Have you noticed that? It's almost more like something, a box that you check on a census instead of a lifestyle that you live. We have people who call themselves Christians, they're rewriting Scripture to make their lives and their lifestyles work. 
That's, that, by the way, to be a Christian, we don't rewrite Scripture, right? That's not what we do as Christians. And uh, somebody at one point coined this phrase for, for people who truly follow a biblical Jesus. They call, them, they call us Christ followers. And I like that term better because it just seems to be a little more specific about what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to follow Christ with our lives. Over 75% of the, the country calls themselves Christians. But the real question this morning is, not are you a Christian, are, are you a Christ follower with your life? What does it mean, right? What does that even mean? I remember um, a few years ago, I was a part of a church in Nashville, Tennessee. I was one of the elders and one of the pastors. And this year, I had the opportunity to kind of lead the trip. And every year, we would do a, uh, we call them elder adventures. We would go and just do some kind of crazy adventure, have fun and enjoy each other, pray for the church, plan for the year. And I was in charge of this one. If you know me, you know that like one of my favorite, if not my favorite thing to do in the world is ride horses. I kind of have this little secret life as a cowboy. I don't know, you don't know this. It's true, Mike. See? Who's laughing back there? Paige. <laughs> it's true. I, I love to ride horses. So, so when it was my turn to plan this trip, naturally we were going ride, to ride horses, right? So I found this place right on the border of Kentucky and Tennessee in the Big South Fork National Park. And I found this old cowboy who lives near the park. He rents his horses, and you take a three-hour ride into the park through the woods, and you get to an 1800s cabin that has no electricity. Sounds awesome to me. Um, and we did that. We rode through the rain three hours to get to this cabin. They made a beautiful dinner for us. And there's always one of these guys in every group, you know what I mean? This, we had this guy, and he said, hey, Larry, that's a cowboy's name. He said, Larry, is there something that you do with some groups that's just crazy? I mean, just, you only do it with a few select, you know. And Larry goes, well, if you boys think you can handle it, I'll, uh, I'll take you on a midnight ride up the mountain. That sounded like a decent idea, like 6 p.m. at dinner, right? <laughs> at midnight, we're half asleep, and we're kind of stumbling in the dark to the stable. He's saddling our horses and getting them ready and we get on the horses and we start riding just kind of softly nicely gently uh, which is you know I like to run horses and I'm like oh this isn't that fun Larry it's not that big of a deal to be honest with you and Larry says hey now guys you couldn't see your hand in front of your face it's so dark he said guys don't trust your own eyes here you got to trust the eyes of the animal okay just okay whatever that means and so we're following Larry just kind of in a line here, sort of, and Larry turns around and says, guys, you ready? We, I thought we were doing the thing, you know. He said, no, you ready to have some fun? We were, sure. He goes, see if you can catch me. He takes his reins, and he slaps the butt of the horse, and that horse takes off 90 to nothing. And so, naturally, I follow. It was wonderful. And so, I'm taking off, and everybody, all the guys were running these horses up the mountain in pitch black darkness. My heartbeat was racing 90 to nothing. I was so afraid and so alive in the same moment. I was holding onto the, the neck of the horse. <laughs> I, I've got horse hair and reins and my arm around the neck and my head down because I'm, I'm pretty much going to die. I'm, I'm confident of it. And as I'm riding along, I look to the right and I see the moon on the ground. 
And I'm like, the moon is not supposed to be on the, it's, and my, again, I'm just trying to live. And, uh, and so my mind's kind of trying to process, and I realize uh, the horse and his wonderful eyesight is running alongside of a cliff. And I, I'm looking down past a cliff to a stream where there's moonlight reflecting from the water. And so I'm holding on to old Poncho or whatever his name was, and I'm like trying, this way, buddy, this way. <laughs> I'm just trying to get him over a little bit, again, afraid for my life. Larry is just booking it up the mountain, having a good time with the city slickers. And I'm following Larry, and we're still going, and then all of a sudden, like a ghost, Larry just sort of disappears. I'm not kidding. He just runs away and disappears from us. And I thought it was really scary following Larry up a mountain in pitch blackness, fearing for my life on the side of a cliff with a blind horse until Larry was gone. And then Larry, there's no Larry. Now I'm just running with a crazy horse up a mountain. It was insane. And I lived, obviously. Uh, but that's, that's kind of what we do sometimes. We, we follow crazy things, silly suggestions and crazy ideas. But the reality is, see, the cowboy, he was trying to have his fun with the city slickers. He was trying to trick us. He was hiding from us, literally. But that's not what God does with us. He loves us. He loves us. He doesn't want to trick us. He doesn't want to hide things from us. He wants to lead us to the treasure of life in Jesus. He wants to lead us to that. So this morning we're talking about what does it mean truly to be a Christ follower? Do you follow Jesus? with your life. I thought it'd be good for us to just take a look and see what Jesus had to say about it, right? Pretty good idea. Let's look in Matthew 5, 18 this morning. We're reading from the ESV version of the Bible. It says in, in, in verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Listen, the first thing we see about being a Christ follower, it's, it's kind of simple here, right? We follow. We obey. To be a Christ follower, we have to have a life of obedience. It's just that simple. We have to obey. You want to know if you're a Christ follower? Ask this question. Does my life follow the life of Jesus? Am I obedient to Jesus? That's step one. Right? I remember in college, I, I, I love the Lord. I love people. I love people. And I love to tell people that I love them because I mean it from my heart. And I love to tell the Lord I loved him. But I remember in college, and even singing songs of love to the Lord, I came upon this verse in John 14, John 14, 15, and John 14, 21. It's so important Jesus says it back to back. He says, if you love me, obey my commands. And all of a sudden, it, it just hit me in the heart. Oh, wait, I can't just say I love you and that be enough? You mean I can't just sing a song of love and that, and that do it? See, Jesus put a definition of what love is to him. He put a qualifier on what love is, and that is, do you obey me? Does your life follow me? 
Jesus even told some of his disciples, listen, in, in, in uh, Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I want you to do? Jesus is trying to say, listen, you can't, you can't call me Lord and not do what I want you to do. You either do what I want you to do and I'll be your Lord, but they, it doesn't work the other way around, right? Here's the second thing about following Jesus. It's not easy. Following Jesus is not easy. It's tough. It's hard. In fact, he warns his disciples in uh, Matthew 8, 18. Let's look at that, can we? It says, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Jesus is trying to tell this. this these guys were a part of the big crowd that were following him around. He's doing miracles. He's preaching. These weren't some of his main few. These were just some of the guys that were following. And so there's a sense that maybe they were kind of half-hearted. Now, I'll follow you. I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus says, man... This is tough because I made the foxes and I made the birds of the air. And you know what? I have no place to lay my head. And we see in Scripture no place that Jesus can call his own home. He stays with other people because this wasn't his home. And then we see what seems to be like a cruel moment when the guy says, Lord, can I go, can I go bury my, my father? And Jesus says, no, let the dead bury the dead. Listen. That's a phrase that's still used today in the Middle East. I didn't know this. I thought the man's father was literally, literally passed. Not necessarily the case. What it, what it means is it's a phrase that means, listen, may I go and fulfill my, my obligations as a son, my responsibilities for my father's business, because if I don't, then I won't get my inheritance. So that changes the story a little bit, doesn't it, when we understand it. Jesus is saying, listen, you're, you're worried about earthly things. Let earthly things take care of earthly things. I'm talking about spiritual things, and I'm talking about now. Have you noticed that when God begins to move on our hearts and say to, for us to follow, he doesn't go, hey, follow me in a month or so. Hey, follow me. Maybe next year when, it's, when it works out with your life. We don't see that at all in Scripture. It's immediate. Jesus is calling us to follow him. He's telling this disciple, this person who's been following around, listen, we don't have time. I got a plan. Let the dead bury the dead. Let the earthly things take care of earthly things. You follow me, right? So we see this kind of progression in discipleship from Jesus. We see, first of all, him say, follow me. In other words, the disciples have to make a personal decision. I'm going to drop my nets. I'm going to trust this person. And I'm going to follow. It's a personal decision. Then we see in that last story, Jesus wants for him to be at the top priority of our lives. Even above our own comfort, right? That's what he's saying about not having a place. And then even above relationships, he wants our relationship to him to be the top relationship that we have. And then he's going to take it up even another notch. 
And he's going to say to his disciples, there's still something else. Do you love me more than your own life? That's what he says in uh, Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And it just, when you read that, it seems kind of overwhelmingly extreme. But we, we understand the heart of God is that he's trying, remember like I said, he's trying to lead us to the treasure of knowing him, the life that he created for us. And he knows the only way we can have that life is if we will die to our own self-sufficiency. Will we die to our own ideas, our own rights, our own plans, our own dreams? He knows that's the only way, and he does it through this beautiful, beautiful paradox, right? For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, they'll be the ones to find it. I love, I love what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He says, for I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's saying, there's no Paul. Paul doesn't matter. Drew doesn't matter. You know who matters? Jesus. That he would live in me and I'd be crucified with Christ and his plans, his desires, his dreams be lived through me, not mine. But we have to die to those things to find life, to find life. You know, we think we can just claim our identity as Christians and not live a life that honors Christ. We can't do it. Because when we do, we cheapen the life of Christ. When we do, we cheapen the grace of Jesus. And when we do, we cheapen the cross of Christ. May it never be. A martyr, an amazing writer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, cheap grace is the grace we bestow upon ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. May it never be that we cheapen what Jesus has done for us. I'm so thankful that when we follow Christ, we follow him personally, we follow him as the, as the top priority in our lives, we follow him above every relationship, we follow him even to the cross, and we take up our cross and we follow him. But that's not all, is it? <laughs> that's not all. Today we celebrate that we follow him in his resurrection, Romans 6 verse 1 says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Hallelujah. Listen, this morning it's not just about an Easter message and and time with family and Easter lunch. Those things are beautiful and and important, and we worship through those things. This morning I want you to hear that this, this moment, it's about life and death. It's about life and death. Your death crucified with Christ and his life where he raises us to walk in newness of life. It's very serious. Romans 8, 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your, to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead raises us. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. The resurrected king is resurrecting you. Now here's the thing I know about you. I know that every one of you today want to be resurrected with Jesus. We want to be raised in power and newness of life. But hear me, my friends. There is no crown without a cross. There is no newness of life without being crucified with Christ. There's this old song that says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. (laughs) I'm a songwriter, so I like song titles, right? Drop, kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life. That's a great title. Not a great song maybe, but this great title. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. See, that's the reality of a life of following Jesus. Everybody wants to be raised in newness of life. Nobody wants to die. And you can't have newness of life unless you come to a death of yourself. Can't be done. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Know that it won't be easy. It's going to be difficult. Jesus said, count the cost of following me. Some of you have been following the Lord for a long time. Been a part of the church or part of this church maybe even. And some of you wouldn't know life if it hit you in the face. Your experience with Jesus may be more religious. It may be more traditional. It may be more just the sense that you come because that's what you're supposed to do. And I just ask you, what in your heart and in your life has died? What dream, what desire, what ministry opportunity has God laid on your heart that you've been saying, no, I can't do that? That you've been pushing behind, saying, I'm just not good enough, I've made so many... What does God need to resurrect in your heart and in your life today? Because I know, listen, we all get wounded. 
that wounds shouldn't put us out of ministry. They should make us better for them. It should make us more like Jesus to love people. More like Jesus. Some of you need to be crucified with him and some of you need to be raised. And something in your heart may need to be raised today. Don't just be a Christian. Don't just mark something on a census. Be a Christ follower. Don't hang on to your life because you think, I've got time. Or there's too much to give up. Listen, my friend. Whatever God asks you to give up, even maybe right now, the Spirit may be working in your heart. And he may be pressing into you that there's something you need to give up. Listen, nothing you give up can compare to the glorious riches of knowing Jesus. I promise you that. I promise you that. You can just keep living your life how you've been living. Let me ask you this question. How's that working for you? How's it working for you? Because I can promise you this, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you're not a Christ follower, then you're not satisfied. There may be a longing in your soul that you've been trying to fill with alcohol or prescription drugs or pornography or an affair or lies or whatever is going on in your heart and your soul, but I promise you, those things don't satisfy. The only thing that satisfies is Jesus. That's it. That's it. This morning, this conversation is about life and death. Have you died so that you may live? We're going to pray in just a second, but before we do, I want, I want you to realize something by faith. Revelation tells us that the Lamb of God has been slain before the foundations of the world. <laughs> Let me tell you what that means. That means that the Trinity, <laughs> before the foundations of the earth <laughs> were created, were creating a plan for your rescue. They were developing this plan for your salvation. And you know what else they knew at that moment? They knew that you would be here right now. They knew that you would be here to celebrate this day with us and to hear the truth of the Word of God. So as we pray, I want you to know you're not here by accident. God has brought you here. He loves you so much that He would send His only Son to die for you. But don't just say, Lord, Lord, and not do what he wants us to do. Would you pray with me this morning? Before I pray, I'll just ask you some questions here. Will you let him lead? Will you let him lead your life? You're going to just walk out of here and take control again, follow your plan again. Because only Jesus can satisfy the thirst in your soul. He's the only one. Just like Jesus told the scribe that came to him and said, let me go bury my father. Jesus was saying, no, right now you have to make a decision. Let the dead bury their dead. That language is used through scripture and the Bible says today is the day of salvation.
says, choose you this day whom you will serve. There's an urgency, there's an immediacy when God says, will you follow me? And listen, right now, he's speaking to us and he's saying, will you follow me? Is he speaking to your heart? Is he saying, follow me? Make a personal decision to follow me. Follow me in your priorities. Follow me in your relationships. Follow me to the cross where you die to yourself and you live for me. If God's speaking to your heart this morning, I want you to know in just a minute, we're going to sing and two of our pastors will be up here. We'll be available to you to pray with you as we sing. If you want to come to this altar, some of you might want to come and fall at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I trust you. You're enough. And even though I'm afraid and I'm concerned about my life or earthly things or relationships, I don't know, but I just want to follow you finally and stop following me so blindly. But as we pray, I want to pray for you. Pray that God would give you the courage, the urgency, and the desire to follow him. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior who has given everything for us. Thank you, Lord, for life in you, but that life can't be known unless we get to the place where we're willing to die to ourselves. Lord, would you do a work here that only you can do? Father God, you say in your word in John 6, that you are the only one who can draw someone to yourself. So Father, if hearts are being drawn to you, it's because of you. Give us courage to stand for you and to follow. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Some of you don't know that I grew up in this church. And sitting right over there one day, I was uh, listening to this last song being played, a hymn we were singing. I don't remember the name of the hymn. And it had that scripture in it, take up your cross and follow me. And then the pastor got up and preached, and it had the scripture in it, take up your cross and follow me. And that was the day I picked it up. And I came up here, and I gave my heart and my life to the ministry that God had called me to. I want to sing this little tiny piece of this song over you before Jacob sings our last song. As I just pray it over you, that this would encourage our hearts to follow. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so wherever he leads I'll go would you stand